friends, and welcome to worship. Bienvenidos a todos nuestra familia. Welcome to all of our family. No matter where you're joining us from, we are so grateful that we can gather together in the name of Jesus to worship Him. You know, I want to remind all of us that no matter what we're facing, our God is a God of miracles. Our God is, is the same Jesus who was raised from the dead. And, and, and that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Today, we're going to continue to lean into our Eastertide conversations and, and look at another encounter that Jesus had with one of his disciples. And it is I think it's just one of the most beautiful stories in scripture. And so I'm really excited for our time together. I encourage you to lean in with us as we celebrate and worship and honor a God who continues to do great things. Oh God, you do great things. Come on. 
Jesus truly is the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
That song is so powerful because it reminds us of the triune God, the Holy Trinity. When we sing, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. The Trinity is this beautiful reminder of how God lives and models community within himself. Three distinct persons, yet all humbly submitted to the point of being one. Confused? Don't worry. Theologians and scholars have talked about this for years, and it's still just simply a part of the beautiful unknown of God. But what's amazing is that these three parts of God allow us to connect with Him in different ways. So each week we've been looking at practices of connecting to God through our bodies, our minds, our spirits, and in community. And today we'll be engaging our spirits with the Holy Spirit of God. And for our time of prayer today, we'll be asking Holy Spirit to come and to shape and mold and change us so that we see what he sees, we seek what he seeks, and we live in the humble posture that Holy Spirit models for each one of us. Now, after each prayer section, there will be a response that you are invited to pray with me that will be on the screen below. And after that, we will pause for a brief moment to simply breathe in and out Holy Spirit. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, breath of God, you were given to us in the beginning. When we breathed our first breath, we breathed into our lungs the very air that gave us life. And you, you are that life that flows through us. You are the breath that sustains us. You are the breath that empowers us. Let us say together, Spirit of God, breathe in me. When we breathe you in, we begin to see what you see. Our hearts ache at the brokenness and division we see around us, but we do not stay silent. We lift our voices to join with the least of these to cry out for justice, for strength, and for peace. And we say together, Spirit of God, breathe through me. As we breathe your life in and out of us, you change what we see and what we seek. Our priorities change, our values shift from, from self to service, from gain to sacrifice, and from mourning into joy. Holy Spirit, May our presence bring your presence wherever we go. And we say together, Holy Spirit, breathe around me. Now may we as a people continue to invite, allow, and bring the breath of God, you Holy Spirit, into every situation and circumstance so that those around us would know your love your truth, and your grace. Amen.
Hey friends, have you ever had a good plan for what was simply just a bad idea? You know, kind of great intent, but not so great execution? I know I have, and probably too many to count. But one particular moment happened many years ago when I was still dating my wife, Beth. We were visiting her family who now lives in Texas, but they were living in California at the time. And this was not just any visit. This was the ask her dad for her hand in marriage visit. But during the time that we were there, we rented a movie on VHS. And for any of the younger folks with us today, there was a time we rented movies from stores, which was shortly after we no longer had to go to the TV to actually change the channel, which was uphill both directions before remotes. <laughs> Listen, Beth and I in that space went to return the video that we had rented at the store. I drove, we pulled up, and she went in to return the tape. I thought it might be funny to back into a different spot where she would come out and be surprised. So I backed up, pulled into that different location, and then looked back to the store, and I waited for her to come out. And I waited, and I waited, but she didn't come out. And this was a bit of a sketchy area, so I was starting to get concerned. And so I pulled back to the store, and I went in, and I asked where she was. When the teller or the clerk said that they didn't know where she was, I demanded to be able to look in the back office to see where she was, because I was convinced that she was still there. And I was probably a little bit amped at the time, but when I got back into the back of the store, she wasn't there. And this had been like a five to 10 minute process. And man, I ended up driving back to her house, kind of freaking out a little bit. But when I got to the house, there she was. I was so happy. She was safe, she was not harmed. I was elated. She was not. <laughs> because when she had come out of the store, I was not there. I was not where I was supposed to be. I, I, I was missing, it was a sketchy area and she wisely did not wait. She actually walked home with a growing and legitimate disappointment in me. It was a bad situation. I had let her down. I had abandoned her in that moment and, and obviously we survived with a bit of a journey in our restoration process. But I share that failure in my life with you because even with the best intent, we can miss the mark our selfishness, our, our fears, even our simple stupidity can, can cause us to miss the mark. And in that space, our failures either become lessons or limits. We either learn from them or they limit what can be. And the difference is tied to what we do afterward, what we do next, even our choices now. See, our failures don't remove our purpose, they distract us from it. They don't remove a purpose, they distract us from it. And we've all done things we regret, we wish we could take back. Even with the best intentions, we can miss the mark. And there can be implications for us and for others. But that's one reason why the resurrection of Jesus is so significant. It means the worst thing doesn't have to be the last thing in life. And we talked about that at Easter. And as we've continued our journey out of that weekend, we've been taking time to look at the impact of some of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Those moments where he interacted with people after he rose from the dead. He did it quite a few times, publicly and privately, in one-on-one -on -one moments, in small groups, even to a group of more than 500. He did it over a period of 40 days. And in each moment, it changed the perspective and trajectories of those who saw him and recognized him. Which makes tons of sense, because recognizing Jesus for who he is is the first step for every other step. When we recognize him for who he is, we actually stand at the edge of opportunity. 
And we're gonna see that in the post-resurrection appearance we're looking at today. It actually involved seven of the original 12 disciples, but it mostly focused on Peter. It's his fourth opportunity to interact with the risen Jesus. The first one was on Easter day in a private moment that the gospels don't really describe. Luke said it happened, Paul affirms it and confirms it. And we don't know what they talked about in that first interaction, but we have great detail, a whole lot of detail from the fourth interaction, which is his second private moment with Jesus, which Peter likely waited and longed for for weeks. See, the disciples end up fishing in the Sea of Galilee and, and Jesus appears uh, to them. They, they, they kind of feel like they have reverted a little bit, but Jesus shows up, they have breakfast, and then he has a conversation with Peter. And there's a ton of stuff in Peter's interaction with Jesus that can help us in our own interaction with him. So I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the scriptures on the screen. But as you turn, let me just give some context because this happens at the Sea of Galilee, which is about 75 to 80 miles from Jerusalem. It was likely a few weeks after Jesus rose from the dead. We know it's at least more than eight days and less than 40. So it's somewhere in that few week period. Yet it's important to remember why the disciples went to Galilee in the first place. They, they weren't running, they, they weren't hiding. And although they were seemingly distracted, they went there because they were told to go there. See, that first Easter morning, the angel told the, woman, the women at the tomb in Matthew 28, he said, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him. So first the angel gives instructions to the women, but then in verse 10, Jesus tells the women, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee there they will see me. So he told the women who told the men who are now waiting, but they're a bit lost. They've lost direction. They've lost a leader. And so Peter, he says, man, I'm going fishing. He kind of goes back to his, his old trade and the group goes with him. Now that group is a group of seven. It involves Peter. It involves Thomas, who we looked at last week. And as we looked at his issue of doubt, it involves Nathaniel, who's actually from Cana, which is in Galilee. It involved James and John who were brothers and then two other disciples that aren't named. And I, I'm not sure how they felt about not being named, but the seven all together decide to go fishing. They head on out and they absolutely catch nothing. But this is where we pick up the narrative in scripture. This is John chapter 21, starting verse four. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now these post-resurrection appearances that that are recorded in the book of John were always unexpected, but even though they had seen him twice before, even though they were told to go, go to Galilee and they're waiting for him, they still don't expect him. So verse five, he calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So think about this. These guys were out all night. They catch absolutely nothing. Nighttime was the preferred time to fish in ancient times they were probably tired. If you ever stayed up all night, you know, you get tired, you get irritable, you maybe get hungry. And here's some random dude on the shore telling them to keep trying not to give up. And they do. And then their success. But this is where it turns. Verse seven, look at this. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now that's John, the guy who's writing this part of scripture. Said to Peter, not to the other five, but to Peter, it is the Lord. I don't know if just the miraculous nature of this thing caused him to realize who Jesus was or just reminded him of other moments, but I do know this. Recognizing Jesus for who he is is the first step for every other step. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, 
He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. Now, I love this whole dynamic here, that Peter gets dressed to get into the water. It's one of my favorite details in this entire encounter, because he actually gets dressed to go swimming. It's fascinating to me, and you may be wondering, why would he do that? But I think he thought he was going to walk on water again. He'd done it before. And although there's really no way to know this side of heaven, I think it makes tons of sense that he thought he would be able to walk on water again to Jesus. I'll tell you this, regardless of the fact that he didn't, it doesn't seem to matter to him. He doesn't seem to care. I think Peter was waiting for this moment to continue a conversation. I think he was desperately longing for reconciliation. I know how I felt outside that video store. I was I was looking for reconciliation with Beth. I knew it would take some time, and I had, a, I had good intent. It was a bad idea, and she felt abandoned in that moment. But I'll tell you this. Actually, Peter did abandon Jesus. He, he denied him three times. He, he followed him into the courtyard space, but he denied him along the way. And in that dynamic, there's a beauty in the leap that Peter makes into the water. A beauty in this whole exchange. And I've got to tell you, hands down, this is one of my favorite moments in all of Scripture. There's a space of being willing to fail trying and not just sitting back and waiting. It's layered with significance and unique nuances. There's, there's clear personal application for us. We've, we've looked at this part of Scripture before as a church. And for some of you, this is a review of some of the truths within it. But some of you have never looked at this Scripture or looked at it in the way we're talking about it. Either way, God seeks to speak to each of us today out of it. And whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or see it, God desires to see breakthrough in your life today. To see all of us live into the full, abundant life that he intended. For us to truly know the worst thing in our life doesn't have to be the last thing. That who you've been is not who you have to be. And that (laughs) what we've done doesn't have to limit who we become. What we've done doesn't have to limit who we become. It can inform, but it doesn't have to define. We all all have brokenness in our life. We have failure and loss and disappointment and sin. We revert. We, We regress. We go back to what we have done before. Yet there is more in Jesus. He works all things for the good of those who love him. And bold obedience always leads to breakthrough. So let's go back to the passage at verse 9. See, when they landed, and that's the six, they saw fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And they also probably saw Peter who would have been maybe winded and dripping wet. And in verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. And it was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. What's fascinating to me is who goes. Peter goes to the boat. I love this dude. He's still dripping wet. He goes to the boat. He drags it ashore. And then listen, then Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The first time was on that Sunday. The second time was eight days later with Thomas as he worked through his doubt. And then now, but this is the fourth time for Peter. Now, it's fascinating to me. Some of the sequencing in this is interesting that Jesus already had breakfast for them, but 
there were fish that he brought into it, but they, they caught some fish that maybe added to the meal, but it didn't make the meal all in itself. There was, there was this space of invitation where Jesus holds that space for them to step into a divine purpose. All of them, but especially Peter. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I really enjoy the stories of the disciples because I can usually identify with them, especially their mistakes. They, they were ordinary people called by God, faced with decisions, struggled with faith and unbelief. They, they failed and faltered like, like we all have. But I'm so grateful we're not doomed to live in our failure. When, when we don't go where we should or we don't stay or wait where we're supposed to be, even if we mean well, we end up not doing best. In that space, we can end up stuck. Yet, what we've done doesn't have to limit who we become. It's true for Peter. It's true for me. It's true for you. See, Peter's about to be restored. He's about to be positioned to help facilitate restoration in others. And that's really important because so are we. Let's just go back to this. This is now verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, as we read through this, there's a couple of key nuances around the name that Jesus uses for Peter and the words for love. See, Simon was Peter's original name. Back in Matthew 16, Jesus gave him a new name. It's Cephas in the Aramaic. It's Peter in the Greek, both meaning rock. Because Peter identified Jesus as Messiah in that moment. So Jesus gave him a new name. But now Jesus is referring to his previous name. It's almost as if Jesus is going back and he's saying, who you used to be is not who you are to be now. Your failures don't remove your purpose, Peter. They distract you from it. There's a second nuance in this beyond Peter's name, and it's the word for love. Because the Greeks actually had four words for love where we just use one word in the English. Now, we don't have time to get into all of that. But here in this part of the passage, Jesus is using the word agape for a deep abiding love when he asks Peter if he loves him. But Peter's responding with phileo love, which is brotherly love. It's, it's real, but it's less. So, so Jesus says, do you agape love me? And Peter responds, Lord, I phileo love you. So then in verse 16, Jesus actually continues and asks the question again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Agape love me? And he answers, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Again, there's this tension between agape and phileo in the exchange. But then in verse 17, the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you phileo love me? So there's phileo, but there's also the third question. And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, again, I got to tell you, there are so many cool nuances in this conversation. Beyond the names that, that Jesus uses for Peter, the words for love is the fact that Jesus asks three questions that parallel three denials. So cool. All of it has significance. There's depth related to Peter's identity, related to his purpose, and related to his past. But the thing that intrigues me most about the whole conversation are three words more than these. When Jesus says in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What did he mean? See, I, I get, we weren't there. And, and we have the narrative, which is accurate, but it lacks tone, it lacks body language, eye contact, even any physical movements. But think with me for a moment, because 
There are three things that are possible, even likely, in what Jesus meant when he asked the question. First is saying, Peter, do you love me more than these men love me? Do you love me more than others love me? See, in Matthew 26, Peter makes a claim to love Jesus more than the others, to love him at a level where he'd never fail, even if they did. The deal is, Peter does fail. He fails three times. So was Jesus asking Peter, like if he loved him more than the others loved him, (laughs) to remind him of that? It's possible. Second way to look at this is saying, do you love me more than you love them, the other disciples, your brothers, your friends? Do you love me more than other relationships that you have? That's just as possible. But even still, there's a third way to look at his question, where he's saying, do you love me more than these things? Literally, possibly pointing at the fishing gear, the tackle, the stuff that represented Peter's job, his identity, and his skills. Look, I don't know which way it was intended. Won't know for sure this side of heaven. But all three are possible. And all three give us a chance to consider our own answer to the question. Do you love him more than these? See, we hold an opportunity whenever we recognize Jesus for who he is. As a risen Savior, as a risen Lord. And failures don't remove our purpose, but they certainly distract us from it. Peter would actually go on to be the rock that Jesus builds his church on. And it's intriguing to me that Jesus didn't ask Peter in this space, saying, hey, Peter, are you sorry? He didn't say, Peter, do you promise not to ever do that again? Instead, he challenged Peter to embrace love and grace and forgiveness, to live out his restoration in the restorative work with others. He's almost as if he's saying, look, as I have led you, Peter, as I have loved and cared, as I have met and forgiven and sacrificed for you, Peter, you do that for them. Peter was restored to restore, and so are we. You know, one of the things that uh, C.S. Lewis, author and theologian, once said, he said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because Christ has forgiven the inexcusable in us. You know, Jesus did that for Peter, and he's willing to do it for us, and we're to do it for others. Yet we may need to start with forgiving ourselves. I think Peter needed an element of that, to be able to live back into his purpose. We, we all have brokenness. We fail. We sin. We revert. We go back to what we've done before. And at times we choose poorly, and we back away from where we should be. Missing a greater purpose that God has for us. Whenever we don't stay, whenever we don't go or wait where Jesus asks us to wait and to be, man, it's a problem. I did it outside a video store. And as a result, I needed a space to to really restore trust with Beth. I I needed to reaffirm my intent and heart for her out of that dynamic. I I needed to demonstrate that I loved her more than my own priorities. And thankfully, she was willing to forgive me. And in a similar, similar way, Peter walked his own journey to embrace forgiveness and grace and love with Jesus and himself. And I wonder where you're at in that journey, if you have embraced forgiveness for yourself or for others. I, I firmly believe that most of us are just one bold step away from a breakthrough in our personal life, in our personal journey, and freedom from addiction or crippling worry or fear or some other reoccurring problem. In our relationship with God, most are just one bold leap away from a next. It's true for Peter. It's true for me. It's 
true for you, just one. Yet we're stuck until we take it. Stuck because we think that our failure has removed our purpose, but it's only obscured. A resurrected Jesus brings dead things to life, sets wrong things right, and can make all things new. But we have to choose to follow, to jump, to swim, to run to him. And whatever your next step might be, or wherever it might take you, it's ultimately by the power of a risen Jesus at work in us, in response to our choices, that makes the difference. A lot of people try things. A lot of people take risks. But it's the power of God that changes everything alongside our bold steps of obedience. It's our obedience that, that bring that power to bear in life. And I don't know what your next is, but I pray you leap, you swim, you run, you kneel before him today, and you let him restore you in relationship and in relevance to his kingdom and his purposes. He's ready and willing, but it's totally up to you to position yourself to receive what he offers. I want to invite you to pray with me as you continue to reflect on this reality in Peter's journey. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus and Jesus invites us into life and life to the full. God, I thank you that our failures do not actually remove our purpose. They obscure it, they, they distract us, they get in the way, but because Jesus rose from the dead, all of that stuff can be set aside. You can work good out of all things and that we can live fully into your purpose. So I pray today that you would speak right now to everyone here in the space, listening, leaning in, and you would reveal their next. You'd reveal that next step of bold obedience that you want to work through so they can experience restoration and reconciliation and empowerment to see the fullness of your purpose realized in their life and through them, not only for them, but for others. So I invite you to speak as we continue to lean in in worship and prayer together today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Oh, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. This whole conversation through the close encounters people had with the risen Jesus has been so encouraging for us. For me, it reminds me that there's opportunity for my own close encounter with Jesus even today in the spaces where I need him most to speak, to move, to give me the sense that he is going ahead of me and of us together. The reality is Jesus is alive and he is inviting us all into a new season and new space of relationship with God and one another and our purpose. And it's our hope, our prayer, that you would be able to connect in each of those ways here at Heritage. 
So over the next week or so, we encourage you, take your next step of connection. Maybe that's letting us know you've been connecting here by filling out a digital connect card at heritagepc.com or using the Church Center app. When you do that, you let us know that we can be praying for you and that God is at work telling a better story in your life. We want to celebrate that with you and come alongside of you in that. Maybe your next step of connection is stepping into the waters of baptism. After all, it's the very first thing that Jesus invites us to do when we follow him. And it's a declaration that we are made free to live because of the work of Jesus, that we've had a close encounter with him. And so if that's you, if you've never done that, and we invite you to go ahead and let us know that you'd like to explore that opportunity. In our live spaces, we'll be hosting an in-person baptism opportunity on May 16th. And it's not too late to register for that and let us know that you're processing what that looks like for you. Perhaps your next step is connecting in one of our live spaces, just being together with others as we worship this risen Jesus together. Now, we know that after this season of COVID and challenge and all that this has been, connecting with other people in space can be a bit of a barrier for us. It can feel strange after we've been isolated for so long to find ourselves around others. But again, we encourage you, just take the next step. We've done our very best to create warm, inviting, safe, distanced spaces where we can connect with God, others, and our purpose together. Perhaps a next step for you is connecting with others in a small group environment. Maybe you're not ready to do that in person yet. That's okay. We've got some virtual opportunities for you. You can check out in our Church Center app or online. Or it's getting to know other people in a small environment together in person. We've got spaces for that as well. No matter what, we're convinced God has a next step for you. And we sure hope that next step involves connection here with us at Heritage. Know that we're praying for you, that we expect the very best is yet to come. And we can't wait to see what God does both now and next. Now, as part of our next together, we're going to be stepping into a whole new series of conversations. A series where we look at what it means that Jesus came for us to have life and have it to the full in body, mind, spirit, and community. It's a conversation we're hosting called Fit for Life where we believe God is going to speak to us about who we are in our bodies, who we are in our mind, in our spirit, and in community, and how He wants to bring us to life in each of those areas. We believe He's going to do incredible things as we walk that journey together. So join us for those conversations in the weeks ahead. You're not going to want to miss them. In the meantime, know we're praying for you, and we're asking God to go ahead of you in all that this week holds.
Jesus, come let us worship, come let us worship our King, come let us bow at His feet, He has done great things, see what a Savior is done, see how His love overcomes, He has done great things. Oh, he has some great. 